Welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. This resource exists to keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equip you to apply the gospel to all areas of life that together we might delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Dial this in. We're ready to go. Okay, brother. Brother pastor. Brother pastor. Brother brother. Welcome to another Restoration Church Life Podcast as I sit here with... Nathan. I never thought about it. You could say brother. We say brother pastor, but you just said brother brother. Brother brother. Well, you could say brother brother because you say brother pastor. You could anyway. Sorry. You Should don't we keep this in? <laughs> I don't know. I'll anyway. let you decide. Well, this is a Restoration Church Life podcast, uh-huh. and it is the Ask the Pastor grab bag. Yep. So, what are we gonna? What's what are we the gonna grab talk about? Bag? We're reaching wait, 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 into the bag. The first question. I used to when I played when I used to get baseball cards. I would go to the shop and they would have these paper bags, and they would say grab bags. I used to love them because I would want to buy them and then I had no idea what we were going to get. Favorite baseball cards you ever had? Easy. 1978 Tops Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray switch hitting first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. I still have the card. At one point it was worth almost $400. Really? Now it's probably worth like 20 bucks. But wow. Remember you used to get bubble gum in your baseball yes, cards? Yes, and it was terrible. It lasted like two minutes. Yeah. They did still you collect baseball cards? Uh, no, I did Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> Which is funny because most people who listen to this don't even know what a garbage pill kit is. They have no idea. That's like that's like unregenerate things because like they're terrible. Like they were anyway. Okay, um, we should get to more important yeah. things. Do they still have bu- bubble gum in the baseball cards? Though? Not that I know of. Okay. I bought some for my kids the other day for the first time in a long time, which is like two dollars and fifty cents. When I bought them, they were like fifty, sixty, seventy cents for a pack. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Grab bag, pull the first question out. Yeah. Why the name Restoration Church, Nathan? So when we set out by God's grace to plant this church, um, we could have named our church anything that we really wanted to, uh, and we settled on the name Restoration Church. Why? Sounded cool, you know, like when you name your kids, right? That's one of the things you do, you know? We liked it. We liked the sound of it, you know, if we're being honest. Yeah. But most importantly, when we want to use biblical terms, and I think the best verse that encapsulates why we chose the name is found in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. So easy to remember, 3, 2, 1. There you and go. This is what it says. So this pretty much encapsulates why. Start like at verse 18. Give them a little bit of context as they read that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Here we go. This is um, uh, right at the beginning of the church. All right. Here we go. Pentecost has already happened. Peter's preaching. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, uh, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. Here it comes. Get ready for it whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. There you go. So in many ways, the Bible is about restoration. Mm -hmm. So when we even try to emphasize heaven, restoration has that in view. That's right. So there you go. So if you're wondering, church, why the name restoration, Acts 3, 18 through 21 Christ is restoring all things. So we are a church. We are a Baptist church. What does that even mean, Nathan? Is this question number two? Yeah, I think so. It's question: right. What does it mean to be Baptist? Uh, a Baptist means that you, you sing hymns and you 
Yeah, you, I don't know. You don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't hang out with those that do. You don't da- dance. That's right, you can't dance. You don't even think about alcohol, because nope. if you even think about alcohol, they will cast you into hell. That's all that it means to be a Baptist. That's it. You got it. There you go. And picket Disney, you know, on movies. <laughs> I'm remembering a lot of my upbringing. Yes. Uh, actually, I was not raised in a Baptist church. Were you, were you I was in? not either. No, neither. So what? Primarily, the church that we would have gone to when we went was a Methodist church. Yeah, so same thing with us. So I didn't make it to the Baptist uh, denomination until I was in the eleventh grade. We kind of actually had both. We kind of Baptist, then Methodist a little bit, and yeah. a little bit of all, a little bit of everything. Yeah. So why Baptist? Well, it would be good to ask us the question: Why denominations? Maybe we'll ask that next. Well, we'll so, go ahead. Why do not? Why denominations? Okay, but why denominations? You know, nowadays it is such an unpopular thing to be for or in favor of denominations. And trust me, I have heard. The argument upwards and downwards and backwards and forwards. I do. I'm one of those strange people that think denominations are actually helpful. I understand the desire to be of, you know, one mind and one gospel and Presbyterians are saved and their brothers and sisters. I get that. But convictions are important. And so convictions encapsulate a way in which we read the Bible. And so Presbyterians read the Bible differently as it relates to church government on baptism. Yeah, secondary issues. Secondary issues, yeah, most importantly. Uh, yeah, in particular, yeah. So we could, yeah. That's you right. could even get below that anyway. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so why, so why denominations? Because they're helpful to help us understand what that church over there believes and that church over there believes and that sort, that what they believe over there. So if I know that that church across the street is a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church, that helps me. That's a service to me because it helps me understand how they read the Bible, how their convictions are formed in relation to second and tertiary matters. That's right. And so I find that to be helpful. That doesn't mean that I don't think that they're brothers or sisters, but I'm thankful that they do. So just like we have different, you know, grocery stores have different kinds of ideas because we know that... Uh, like the that? Giant is different from the Whole Foods, which is different than the Trader Joe's. There you go. Like, we know that the, the Trader Joe's... They're all grocery stores. They're all they all sell groceries. They're equally grocery stores, <laughs> you know. They equally sell food. But we understand that if I go to Whole Foods, I know I'm going to pay a little bit more, but I'm going to get better quality and more fresher items than I would if I went to Giant. That's right. You know, so in the same way, I understand the analogy breaks down a little bit there, but denominations are helpful because... They serve the community in helping us know how to read the Bible. Yeah. Which leads us to that question you asked before. Yeah. So why, why, why are you, yeah. we, yeah. a Baptist? Yeah. Because so, you grew up Baptist? No, we already discussed that. That's not the case. Right. So you're a Baptist because? Yeah. Two reasons. Okay. So to be a Baptist only means these two things. Do not let anybody else tell you that to be a Baptist me- demands these other things. Uh, it means two things. That's and right. this is why I'm a Baptist. The first one, uh, is the one that we're most known for. It's where we get the name, Believer's Baptism. So every mainline denomination that you're familiar with, Methodists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Episcopals, Lutherans, they all understand in various ways that you should or ought to baptize babies as children of the covenant. I do not believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that only believers should be baptized, as is represented by Christ in Matthew 28 when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing the believers, the disciples, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I could go to many other places, but that's one. So that's one 
Yeah. Hook, it means to be Baptist, yeah. is believer's baptism, reserved for those professing faith in Christ. That's right. The second one is? Local church autonomy. Which that's a is big a word. Fancy what is way of saying we govern ourselves. So Presbyterian churches have presbyters that are made up of a regionalized sort of group of men that oversee a group of churches, and they can make decisions for that church uh, in that region. Episcopal churches have same kinds of things. Uh, you know, well, you get the idea. Yeah. So. Uh, we believe that we should govern ourselves, that nobody outside of us should make decisions for us. That's right. The ultimate authority in our church is the congregation. That's right. Okay. So as is represented, again, Matthew 18, when in church discipline, Jesus says to tell it to the church. He doesn't say tell it to the presbyters, doesn't say tell it even to the elders or the pastors of that church. Tell it to the church. And so therefore, Jesus seems to be indicating to us that local churches are governing themselves. So that's two reasons. Believer's baptism, and church government, local church government. Okay, so that's all it means to be a Baptist. So a little secret, friends, yeah, that means it. most non-denominational churches are actually yeah, Baptist. I know, but they would never <laughs> want to say that. Yeah. Uh, now, consistently, they're Baptistic yeah, because right. they might receive a beli- uh, an, infant baptism. Uh, an infant baptism, which we're not going to do that. Yeah, so. the Babylon Bee had a funny article the other day. It said, yeah. uh, you know, non-denominational church science falls off and reveals Baptist underneath. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, anyway, yes. okay, so so we are, that's why we're Baptist, but let's answer this question. Why are we Southern Baptist? Are those the same thing? Yeah, good question. So it's important to know those are separate things. They are not to be Baptist does not mean that you are Southern Baptist. Okay, yeah, and so, as I say, we're Baptist by conviction. Yes. We're Southern Baptist by choice. Why would we make that choice? Sometimes I wonder. Uh, but uh, most days I'm very thankful to be part of this, why we would make this choice, lead our church to make this choice. Uh, to be clear, just to back up one step, there are all different types, types of Baptist associations. There's Northern Baptist. There's American Baptist. There's, there's Independent Baptist. General Baptist. There's General Baptist. There's, yeah, all there's I mean, there's, so there's Southern Baptist is most known because they're the largest in the United States. 40,000 plus churches. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A lot of, a lot of churches. And so we choose to affiliate with the Southern Baptist con- con- uh, Convention. It's a network of churches. Does so, the Southern Baptist Convention have any authority over our local body? Absolutely not. I, no. That would go back. We would then no longer be Baptist, right? Exactly. Based off my prayer. So the reason why we choose to be part of the Southern Baptist is really two reasons. One, for the advancement of the gospel, and two, for pastors to help pastor those of whom they respond to that gospel. So the first would be uh, the International Mission Board in particular. So they equip, well, they equip in various sort of resource kind of ways, and then they help fund and even provide some training to international missionaries all over the world. So men and women, 5,000 plus right now, all over the world, advancing the gospel through this cooperative fellowship. That's right. So if... um, So our friends that are in the Middle East are fully funded through this organization. That's exactly right. And so, for instance, if, um, if, uh, gosh, if Matt Hawkins decided to, he and Crystal wanted to go share the gospel in Turkey, because of our affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention, depending on some other things, they could get funded and go. Right. And how much money would they have to raise? Zero. Zero dollars. And so we think that's a good reason to be part of it. Yeah. And the other, the other part, as you mentioned, is the training of pastors or biblical counselors. That's right. So there's six Southern Baptist seminaries yeah. uh, that train, and we can get a quality education for yeah. essentially half price. That's right. And yeah. so we're able to pool our resources together, and so we choose to cooperate for yeah. the advancement of the gospel through church planting locally and yeah. globally. 
And there are other things, you know, like we have members of our church that are involved with some other entities. That's right. Uh, but, you know, those are not the main reasons why, and which is why, because it's so big, there might be other things that may come up that you may see in the news that we may or may not agree with that the Southern Baptists are saying or doing. But at the end of the day, it's just for those two things. Okay. So there's there's a few questions out another one. Can you pray to the Holy Spirit? There's one kind of out of left field. Nathan, can you pray to the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I, I suppose that I could, yes. Yeah, I suppose that I could. We have no model of that in the Bible. We do have people praying to the Father, obviously. We have people praying to Jesus. Or worshiping Jesus, doubting, worshiping Tom, Jesus. doubting Thomas, worship Jesus. Yes, yeah. uh, Stephen. When Stephen, he's, yep, he's, I see Jesus. He, yeah, he's praying to Jesus there. And, and so, you know, we don't have that model in Scripture, but I don't see why you could not. Yeah. You have anything? What do you, what do you think? No, I mean, I, I would have, yes, you can pray. He's fully God. Therefore, you can pray to him. Yeah. Uh, I read a book, uh, on delight, uh, the deep things of God by Fred Sanders on the Trinity. And he mm. walks through a chapter on prayer mm. and he says that the typical model is praying to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Mm. So that's kind of, he calls that praying with the grain. Yeah. But he also goes on to say that, yes, you can pray to any member of the Trinity. And it would make most sense if you're going to pray to a particular person of the Trinity that you pray in keeping with what their role might be. So the Holy yeah. Spirit is yeah. regenerating. Yeah, yeah. He seals. And right. so I might pray, Holy Spirit, would you regenerate my friend who's not a Christian? Yeah, would you remind yeah. me of the hope that I have in Christ? Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that sounds wise. Yeah, yeah so. sounds wise. It's sort of helpful to kind of even in its own way form our theology as we're praying. That's right. If we think about that very yeah. thing, which yeah, you just so. said. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. Why are you, why are we, uh, so big on membership? <laughs> Ah, yes, the membership stuff. So local church, we talk about the church a lot. And sometimes you'll hear us say that like we think membership is biblical. So is somebody a, a in unrepentant sin if they're not in a formal member of a local church? No, I am not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, not at all. So when we talk about membership, what we mean by that, where we get first off, it's helpful to get the word. The word comes from the Bible, which you would hope it would. Where is it, Joey? First Corinthians 12, First one Corinthians. body, many members. Yeah. You also have that in Romans 12 as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. One yeah. body, many members. Yeah. So that's where the word comes from. So we do think it's, we do think it's biblical. The word's biblical. The idea is biblical. And of course, what Paul means there in First Corinthians 12 and also in Romans, uh, Romans 12 is that we are connected to the body of Christ. And by being members of it, we are meaningfully, meaningfully connected to it. And so, Membership to a local church is one way to express, I think the most, I think an important way to express, uh, the reality that you say that you believe in Jesus Christ and are connected to the universal body of the church. And so therefore you're meaningfully connected to a visible church, right? So that we get the invisible church, which is, right? All believers all time. Yeah. You can't see it. It's called invisible because it's invisible. You can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> or some call it the universal yeah. church, meaning it spans space, time, age, all those types of things. Everybody who's ever been a Christian or will be a Christian is part of the same universal church. There you go. And so a visible church is the local church where yeah. you can actually see people. Yeah. So, and so therefore, if you say that you are a member of the universal church or the invisible church, well, one way in which you show that confession is by being meaningfully united to a visible church, a That's right. local church. Yeah. And so, Joey, let's put some Bible verses behind that. Okay. So give me, give me, uh, can you think of one verse that would, uh, that where the Bible assumes that you are a meaningful part of a local church? Let me, by the way, let me back up one step. We are not saying that you have to go through member, there's the Bible, uh, you. Uh, yeah, so I, I would say, 
We assume some type of formal commitment. How that is made is going to differ by on culture and time. Yeah. So, for example, if you're in the Middle East, your formal commitment is going to be baptism probably. Yeah. Yeah. Here, where Christianity is a bit more prevalent, we probably need something a little bit more than that just so we're clear on what that formal commitment is. Right. It could be a three-hour class. It could be a 10-minute meeting. Yeah. It could be signing a covenant. It could be raising your hand. Whatever it is, there's some type of acknowledgement by both parties, hey, we're in this together. Yeah, and that's a critical, that that last thing you said is critical. Because somebody might show up to our church and say, well, I understand myself to be a member of Restoration Church because I show up here. Sure. I I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the gospel. I'm a part of the universal church. And because I go to this church, Restoration Church, I'm a member. What's wrong with that? Well, it doesn't, it's it's like saying, going up to a girl and saying, I'm now married to you. <laughs> she's got to give, she's got to make the vow there as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a covenant commitment which yeah. requires agreement from both sides That's of the party. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it demands. So all we've said just to review on this question is to be a to be a member of the universal church is to express itself by meaningfully connecting yourself to a local visible church, and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to go through formal classes, but it there does have to be uh, an opportunity for both sides of the party to talk and agree to that commitment. And so, therefore, let's back to that question, yeah. Joey. Let's put some Bible verses on where uh, the Bible assumes that yeah. you are meaningfully connected, committed to a local yeah. church. So I would start with all the metaphors the Bible uses of the church. So we've already talked about body. You yeah. got that one. It talks about sheep and a pen. It talks about a building. It talks about all these things that are corporate in nature. Mm-hmm. The other one marriage. I'd go, marriage, yeah. The, the other thing that I'd go to is the one another command. So mm-hmm. there are 50 plus one another commands Can you give me some in the scriptures. So I'll, one of the ones I think is most uh, pertinent in this case would be Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 mm. that says not neglecting to gather yeah. with one another. Yeah. And so we have to know who that one another is yeah. in that case. And then Hebrews 13 talks about submitting to your leaders. Mm-hmm. And so, and then leaders have to give an account for souls. Right. On both ends of that spectrum, the person submitting needs to know who their leader is and make sure that leader is qualified. Right. And then the leader needs to understand whose soul they're going to have to give an account for. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that mm-hmm. – and then mm-hmm. finally, I would say restorative church discipline, mm-hmm. which you see in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, demands that we understand in some way who is and isn't a member of the church. Because yeah. if someone claims to be a member of the church and is taking the name of Christ and is living in unrepentant sin – the Bible says they are to be removed from among us. Well, yep. you can only remove things when they were once included in the first place. We got to know who that is. That's right. Yeah. So right. you can't be removed from a marriage as if that's possible. That's another yeah. podcast. So, unless we know that you got married. That's right. right. So, so yeah. So those are those would be some examples. And one, if I can go back to the one or another's, because I think that one's such a helpful one. Very practical. It gives definition. It gives parameters to so much of the Bible for the Christian. So, for instance, I like to do this with guys and gals that I meet with when we talk about this. So, when the Bible says that you're submit, supposed to submit to your leaders, does that mean that every Christian is supposed to submit to every single pastor on planet Earth? I hope not. I sure hope not, right? Okay, well, then we kind of whittle it down. All right, what about every pastor in the United States? Right. I hope not, That's right? Right. That's right? All right, what about every pastor in the district? Well, I hope not. All right, what about every pastor in Ward 3 of Northwest D.C.? Well, I hope not. Okay, well, then which one? Well, there you go. So now we have to know it's a particular one. And then same thing. You're supposed to forgive one another, love one another, ex- encourage one another as long as it's called today. Yeah. Who are you doing those things with? And do those people, other people know that you're doing with them? And so okay. church membership gives parameters to w- live those one another's out. Yeah, yeah super so, helpful. So there you go. Membership. Real quick, 
why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper like we do? Oh gosh. So like, is that the, like a theological question or like the practical? I like guess standing practical. up and going yeah, in front. Yeah, standing up and going in front. Like, why do you fence the table the way you do? Uh, Those okay. types of things. Like, we do this at least monthly. Yeah. And we do the kind of the same thing. We get up, we fence the table, yeah. and then we invite people to come forward and, and get the element. So, why? so yeah. So first off, that word fencing, mm-hmm. I think that kind of confuses people. So the idea there is, is the, it's a loving act. It may sound as though it's not, but. Fencing is trying to sort of build a fence around that table in a good way to try to protect uh, protect those of whom have a reserved seat at that table. So in essence, what we're saying is at Restoration Church, we will normally emphasize rep- active repentance of sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Some churches want to make very clear baptism and membership of a local church. Um, something that maybe we will revisit someday in the future. Sure. But, uh, but the most important thing is, is we want to fence it so that only those that are, that are repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying they have a seat in the new heavens, new earth at the table of Christ. So therefore they can come have a, a meal at this table, which is representing that meal in advance. And that's the positive side. The negative side is, is when we tell people to not take it. 1 Corinthians 11 makes very, very clear that there are people who have taken of that meal and either gotten sick or died. And so if we don't fence that table clearly and carefully, we are being hateful to people. We are not being loving to them. And so that's one reason why we fence it. Joey, you Mm -hmm. you want to tell them why? uh, Yeah, so I I think coming forward together signifies an act of participation. So I'm actively participating in what's happening. And it reminds me as I come up, there's a whole host of brothers and sisters around me, yeah. some that are more like me and others that are less like me, and we're all saved by the same Christ, mm-hmm. the giving of his body, the shedding of his blood. And so we come together as God's people to take the elements yeah. as an act of worship. Yeah, and I think, too, which that's exactly right. And I think, too, just to add on to that, Romans 12, which we looked at in our church not long ago, when we talked about in Romans 12, 1, it says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And going up to that table at the front is a way to sort of kind of go up to the front to lay yourself down on the altar, as it were, That's good. Uh, to eat of Christ. Now that, that right. So of, so why do we yeah. Yeah. have bread? By the way, just just for yeah. quick, we we could pass the plate. Oh, we may do that yeah, someday. Yeah, 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 yeah. nothing wrong with that. No. Quite, we might still do that someday. That's right. Nothing wrong with it. Just, yeah. Yeah. just the way we do it. That's right. So why do we... Uh, have the bread and the juice separate, and we don't do what's called intinction and dip the bread. Yeah. Is it sin to dip the bread in the juice? So. No, I don't think so either. No, that's right. No. Like that's not sinful. No, no, not at but all. why it do we? Tastes bad. Why do we? <laughs> why do we choose to have sin. the element? Why do we choose to eat and then drink? Because well, Jesus told us to. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, like it's you take this and eat, take this and drink. So I think that's why. And then there's another one. Okay. Uh, why do we have unleavened bread? Ah, there, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Because yeah. when you read the scriptures, you even go all the way back to the Exodus. Yeah. They were to have bread that was unleavened, reminding them they did not have time before God was going to act. Yeah. And so they got out. And so you see throughout the scriptures unleavened bread being a reminder that God is the one who brings redemption. Yeah, that's such a, to me, I love that. Honestly, it doesn't taste as good as the leavened bread. But, you know, we made that decision years ago yeah. to switch over. And I think it's, it's, it's fun to me because now most of our people probably don't know that. Now, hopefully that they hear this, they yeah. do know. But to me, it's so much fun to take that unleavened bread and eat it because it reminds me that I'm connected 
to all the saints way back, even back into Exodus. That's right. Yeah. So much fun to think about that. There you yeah. go. Any other? I think we're out of time. So no okay. more, no more grab bag for today. So uh-huh. some serious questions and not uh-huh. so serious questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beloved, we're thankful for you and we praise God that we get to shepherd you. Amen. And yeah, until next time. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Life Podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C. and beyond.